Put the suckers works out, man, it's time to drink. You know, all I need is some afterward drinks. This is how we do when the week is through. Welcome to the After Work Drinks Podcast. Here are your hosts. As always, I am your host, Pooch, and this is the February edition of the program. Yes, February. Um, I like a good play on words. I like a little dorky beer humor. Hopefully you do as well. And per usual, we have good friend of the program, Kid Russell, bringing us in with his song, After Work Drinks, coincidentally named after the program, or the program coincidentally named after his song. I don't know. It's chicken and the egg. Um, no, not really. His song's over 10 years old. We totally copied it, but he's our friend. He let us. We like that. So, uh, Kid, thanks as always. And you can check out his song, After Work Drinks, and his huge and varied catalog of music over at iTunes. And you can find him all over social media at Kid Russell. K-I-D-D Russell. And we've got a big show for you that includes lots of goodies, including our very first featured interview with an out-of-state brewery uh later on in the here's to you segment i will be sitting down with dan kelly of refuge brewery in temecula california beautiful sunny california quite the opposite of the weather we've had as of late in my sweet home chicago but uh nevertheless we will talk to him and uh the fact that he was wearing shorts during the interview while i was bundled up we'll talk about all that a little bit later on. Uh, also, big announcement. You'll notice that uh, this episode of the podcast released in the beginning of February. Sorry, I just I won't let the bad beer jokes go. We're going to call it February as many times as possible uh, in, in this episode. But uh, usually, if you go back and you look at the posted release dates for most of our episodes, you'll notice that they usually come in the back half, the latter part of the month. Well, starting this episode, uh, we're going to try to flip things to uh, releasing in the front two weeks of every month. Uh, try to give some lead time there. Uh, granted, you know, uh, we do these interviews. We sit down with with uh, different people that are kind enough to give us their time. Uh, so will it always be the front of the month? We hope so. But obviously, uh, if we've got to switch things around for our guests, we will. Uh, so look for us now in the beginning of every month if things go to plan. And uh, some of the places that you could look for us if you're trying to find your preferred place to listen. Uh, of course, our host is SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple Podcasts via iTunes. You can find us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, and now, in case you missed the announcement last month, uh, this will be the first new episode that you can find us on Spotify, the second largest podcast provider behind only Apple. So we're really excited to be on that platform now. And uh, of course, you can catch all our previous episodes there as well, the whole back catalog. So if you're new to the podcast and you want to catch up, uh, Spotify is your preferred place to listen to music and podcasts. Hey, we're there now. Uh, very happy to be there. We've seen our numbers jump quite a bit since we've landed that. So uh, very, very cool. And we're excited about that moving forward. Uh, also, if you're looking for us on social media so you can keep up to date with uh, the day-to-day -day ins and outs, any special things we have going on, uh, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. That's at AWD Podcast. Twitter, at AWD Pod. And, of course, Snapchat. 
That's going to be after work drinks for the screen name. Please add us today. We'll follow you back. So uh, you can do some see one, send one, see what you're drinking, see what we're drinking. Uh, We'll share that together. It'll be a fun time. But uh, social media is the perfect place where you can find out any news and events pertaining to the show. Uh, Events like this one that we went to last month. The Goose Island Field Goal Challenge. Did you guys hear about this? If you haven't, you missed some big news. Uh, I know I know about it primarily here in Chicago because it was based entirely around my beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, as I'm sure any football fan knows by now, uh, back in the beginning of January, first round of the playoffs, Bears-Eagles. Uh, unfortunately, my Bears lost 16-15. to uh, And it all came down to a field goal kick at the very end. Cody Parkey had his kick partially blocked it got like two fingertips on it might have thrown the ball off course just a little bit where it proceeded to double doink off of the upright and the crossbar and fell outward not into the goal so um a lot of people you know going crazy on social media like they do armchair quarterbacks or in this case armchair field goal kickers a lot of people blaming him for the loss probably up into and including death threats for Cody Parkey. Uh, It's awful. You feel for the guy. It's tough to be a kicker in that situation. But a lot of people thought, hey, I could make that kick. And, of course, Goose Island disagreed, wanted to defend Cody Parkey, uh, prove that it's not that easy to make a field goal. So uh, the very next weekend after the Bears were eliminated from the playoffs. They set up the Goose Island Field Goal Challenge. Uh, The first 100 people to show up and get registered got to kick a field goal from the exact same yardage that Cody Parkey tried from. And if anybody made it, they were going to get an all-expenses-paid trip for them and a guest to go to any NFL football game next season. Didn't have to be Bears. They could have picked any game at any stadium anywhere in the country. And your tickets... Your hotel, your travel, all paid for by Goose Island. A very generous offer. And then if anybody made that kick, they would then advance to a chance to kick a 65-yarder. And if that one went in, you would get to go to this year's Super Bowl. And that would have been amazing. But again, we're talking about amateur kickers. You weren't allowed to have anybody that was like NFL, college, uh, any current or former pro or semi-pro, no dice. I believe the most experience you were allowed to have was if you were like a high school kicker. I know I talked to some people at the event. There was a couple high school kickers. Um, Outside of that, if you played soccer, that might correlate a little bit. You might have a strong leg, might have a chance. Uh, but that was it. Those were the the gist of the rules. And I went there uh, kind of not appropriately dressed for the occasion. Got a little chilly out there, but I had a lot of fun. I was right on the rail. Got to meet a couple of local news personalities, uh, a couple of sports personalities, both locally and nationally. And I probably can't say much more to set this up any better other than to just jump right in. So we're going to queue up part one of three of the Goose Island Field Goal Challenge, me reporting live on the scene. And from there, we're going to jump right into our news and events with What's Hoppin'. And a little bit after that, we will have Pints Up, Pints Down, where I will review a wonderful West Coast IPA called Orange Haze, courtesy of Sound Growler Brewing Company in Tinley Park, Illinois. So you don't want to miss any of it. Please stay tuned. 
Plenty more to come here on AWD. After Work Drinks Podcast, Pooch here, recording live on location at the Goose Island Brew Pub on Fulton here in Chicago. And man, the the people look like they have turned out. I am walking down the block. I see that the whole street is closed off. I see the field goal posts in the distance. Uh, I'm walking amongst the herds. We've got all the local news channels here. I see the trucks parked just outside the gates. Uh, Looks like we've got food trucks as well. Uh, just an awesome turnout. It, it has a big feel, and I'm, I'm still about two blocks away. Uh, I'm going to go walk in and uh, see, uh, see how this thing's set up, uh, see how it's organized, and uh, try to hop in there and uh, get a good position, get some pics, some videos, maybe talk to some people. Uh, we'll see what I can do, but uh, we'll definitely be covering this, so stay tuned. For all of our latest show info, like upcoming interviews and guests, Visit Facebook.com slash AWD podcast and like us today. I hope we can be friends. We're friends to the end. Remember? It's time for all the latest news and events. What's going on? This is What's Happened. Hello, beer friends. It's Pooch with your news and events. Hip, 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 and away we go. Representatives from more than 30 Sacramento area craft brewers will be releasing a new series of brews aimed at showcasing all the city's craft beer scene has to offer. The Sacramento Brewers Guild will brew the region's first collaborative beer series, The High Road, at Fort Rock Brewing in Rancho Cordova. 55 local breweries will participate, making it the largest collaborative brew in the area's history. The first craft beer released in the series will be a West Coast IPA. The Guild hopes to release beers from the collaboration four times per year. The West Coast IPA called Friends with Benefits will be available on February 22nd at breweries and shops all across the Sacramento area. This story is courtesy of KCRA Channel 3 News, the Sacramento NBC affiliate, and for more info, you can visit them at kcra.com. Gotta say, that's a very cool idea. Has my sweet home Chicago done anything like this? If not, hey Chicago Brewers, let's guild up and make a massive collaboration beer series. I mean, we were recently named the craft beer capital, were we not? I don't know if that's an official title yet, but come on, let's not let Sacramento show us up. All right, I'm calm, I'm calm, moving on. And there's a lot more happening in Michigan beer this year. In July, Bells, for the first time ever, will release double Two-Hearted Ale in bottles. It's a bigger, double IPA version of its celebrated Two-Hearted Ale, loaded with 100% Centennial hops among its ingredients. And then from Founders, you'll have Kentucky Breakfast Stout landing in March. The bourbon barrel-aged Imperial Stout made with coffee and chocolate is always a big hit. And New Holland Brewing Company in Holland, Michigan, is set to release its new Dragon's Milk White, And that comes this month in February. It may be available right now as you are listening to this very podcast. It's a hazy gold version of its dark brown Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel aged stout. The brewery describes Dragon's Milk White as having strong notes of vanilla, cocoa, coffee roast, and oak from its time in bourbon barrels. Drinkers can expect a smooth, velvety mouthfeel that complements the flavor profile, according to the brewery website. And there's a lot more to look forward to. You can find the full article and links from a few of Michigan's more than 300 breweries outlining their planned 2019 beer releases at the Detroit Free Press website. That's www.freep.com. That's free, the letter P, dot com. 
and a couple of local Chicago area events for you. We have BrewTube Comedy Night. That's going down on Tuesday, February 12th, and the show begins at 8 p.m. On Tour Brewing and BrewTube Comedy are teaming up for a night of laughter featuring some of Chicago's best stand-up comedians. The tasting room menu will be available, including favorites such as Lightning Will and more. BrewTube Comedy is a traveling web series that tours the nation's best and most unique breweries while featuring the local scene's best comics. This will be BrewTube's sixth show at On Tour. It will feature a lineup of six local comedians and is hosted by Dwight Simmons and Peter Hines. It's a 21 and over event. Tickets are $12 per person. Make sure you get yours before they sell out. For more information, visit ontourbrewing.com. And Off Color Brewery and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation are coming together to bring you yoga and beer for a cause. Come treat yourself to an hour-long yoga session followed by an 8-ounce pour of one of seven Off Color drafts. Class will be held at the Off Color Brewing Company Taproom, The Mouse Trap, located at 1460 North Kingsbury Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60642. Doors open at 9.15 a.m. and class starts promptly at 9.45 a.m. Please give yourself at least 15 minutes before class starts to check in and set up your mat. It is B-Y-O-M. Bring your own mat. That is cute. A little play on the B-Y-O-B there. Bring your own mat, your own water bottle, and towel. Questions? Please contact Kristen Gulliford at 646-899-4329 or email K. Gulliford, G-U-L-L-I-F-O-R-D, at Foundation.org. And for more info, you can check out offcolorbrewing.com. That's going to do it for all the news and events for this edition of What's Hoppin'. But stay tuned, because coming up next, we have segment two of my three-part live reporting on location at Goose Island Field Goal Challenge. We're about halfway through the field. Did anybody make it? Did anybody come close? Did anybody make a fool of themselves? Uh, I think you can guarantee at least one of those happened, and you'll be able to hear it for yourself right after this. My Instagram is weak as fuck. Cheese. Want to see what the guys are drinking, where they're drinking it, and who they're drinking it with? Visit them at Instagram.com slash podcast. That's right. Let us know what you're drinking and tell us which breweries, wineries, and distilleries you think we should visit next. Follow us today at AWD Podcast. All right, I stepped away. I'm back on the mic here. Uh, stepped away from the event. It's a little noisy. You got the music blaring and uh, a lot of hooting and hollering, a lot of cheering, a uh, good atmosphere. But uh, I've stepped away to the food truck alley, as I will call it. Uh, it's not really in an alley, but uh, there is a strip of them. So let's call it Food Truck Alley. That is where I'm at. Uh, I'm trying to get my hands warm, uh, drinking an Intelligentsia coffee. Thank you guys for the coffee. Shout out to you. Uh, very, very awesome. And uh, man, so far, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I really thought you'd have amateur hour out here. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. There's been some of that. There's been people kicking in like galoshes and boots and uh, weird things that don't seem like the proper athletic shoe. Uh, but you've got some hardcore people here. You've got some people that used to kick in high school. Apparently that's allowed. I know like the rules said uh, if you had like a kicking background in like pro, semi-pro college, um, if you play now, you know, stuff like that, that's not allowed. But uh, we've had some former high school kickers go 
and uh, some of them, you know, it, it's slippery out there. A couple of them wiped out. Uh, some of them hit the fence that they're using as kind of like a way to replicate a line that's trying to block your kick. Um, but man, like crazy, crazy stuff. We've we've had quite a few close ones now that were either like dead center and fell just short. Uh, we've had a lot of them that had the leg it looked like, but went wide left, wide right by a mile. Uh, it's pretty cool. We're having a lot of fun out here. Uh, a lot of personalities uh, from the local news and media got to take shots. Uh, Mike Golick Jr. is here and uh, I got to sit and chat with him after his kick. Uh, really, really cool guy. Awesome to meet him. Um, Man, this is just a, a lot of fun. And, of course, you've got some smart asses, too. Uh, you had some people that were bundled up, and when it was their turn to kick, they unveiled that they were wearing Eagles clothing, Vikings clothing, Packers clothing. But you know what all those people did? 100% made a fool of themselves because they got the crowd riled up, they got them booing, and you know what happened? The first two, Aaron Rodgers guy, Packers guy, and Eagles guy dressed in all green and all the Eagle swag, slipped and fell on their ass, and rightly so. And Vikings guy, well, he kicked it low. It dribbled on the ground. You would have thought he was trying to kick an onside kick. But no, that is not the goal. We're trying to make three points here. Uh, we're about 50 kicks through. we got 50 more guys signed up to go of the 100 that are eligible to win. And uh, I'm going to go back out there, try to get myself back on the rail again and uh, see what's up. But uh, there's a chance this could happen, guys, and I didn't think so. But there are some people coming pretty darn close. Uh, reporting live, Goose Island Brew Pub, Fulton here in Chicago. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap this thing up and uh, let you know if anybody did get the big prize. Pints up. Cheers. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's amazing. Or pints down. This is terrible. Did I do something wrong? Are you mad at me? All right, kitties, gather around here in blustery Chicago. Uh, you may have heard that we recently went through a polar vortex. And uh, when it's 50 below with the wind chill, I mean, you're kind of thinking hot cocoa, coffee, tea, maybe. But if you're inside and you've got the proper heating, Maybe, maybe it's never too cold for a nice cold beer. And that is what we're gonna go with for this edition of Pints Up, Pints Down. We're gonna go with a nice cold one from Sound Growler Brewing in Tinley Park, Illinois. If you haven't been, I finally got out there uh, for the very first time. Shout out to my friend Arturo, who's over there, and I hope I can get him on an upcoming edition of the podcast to have him be the featured interview. But in the meantime, the least I could do is review one of his delicious beers. Uh, I went there, I tried about four different beers, but the Orange Haze IPA was canned and ready to go in their to-go fridge, and it was not on the tap list the day I was there. So I figured, you know what? Let me take something home that I didn't get a chance to check out, and let me do it in the comfort of my own home. So let's do this. Let's do it right now. Sound Growler Brewing Orange Haze West Coast IPA. Let me crack it open for you. Get that first sip, that first schwap of that. Ooh, that's good, that's very good. Um, so if you want somebody that's like a little bit more uh, poetic than me maybe, cause I'm, I'm never good with like the, the descriptions, like the technical terms on these things. So uh, I don't know if you guys like to use untapped, but I, I do, I like to keep track of what I think of beers on there. So uh, a quick peek at the orange haze, 
So the app describes it as a hopped up, hazy IPA that will coat your mouth with citrus flavors and smack your tongue with hoppy bitterness in the finish. And you know what? That sounds kind of like, you know, like stupid, kind of like Seinfeld, like the Peterman catalog, like dressing up words. But whoever wrote that on the app, I mean, is essentially a genius because if I took a sip and then tried to tell you what I felt, I don't know if I could do it so eloquently, but exactly what I just read you is exactly the truth of what you feel. Uh, You get that mouthful, and as it rests on your tongue, you do feel all the citrus. You feel all the orange flavor. And then uh, as you let it rest, and then when you go ahead and swallow, then on that back end, the finish, you get a little bit of the hoppy bitterness. And you may have heard me say multiple times on this show that I kind of IPA'd myself to death and uh, got a little burnt out on IPAs. So I tend to now favor the less hoppy maybe i don't know if you'd call that less traditional then if you'd call them you know the more juicy more citrusy hazy like different types of ipa that maybe focus on more flavor less of like the hoppiness challenge for lack of a better word so hoppy enough to know that it's still an ipa but citrusy and flavorful enough that if the hops in an ipa is a little bit too much for you at times this is an ipa for you this i think you could definitely handle uh some of the keywords that they use to describe it on the app citrusy juicy smooth clean and bright uh i agree with all of that uh right now the current rating for it after 992 ratings as of this reading is a 3.94 and uh i'm pretty close to that let me take another sip Yeah, that's a damn fine IPA. Um, 3.754. I'm leaning toward a four. Like, I'm much closer to a four, I think. I got to give it the push to a four. Um, Glad to know that they are putting out a great product there. It's just another beer that I love uh, from Sound Growler. Great job, guys. Uh, 7% ABV, 70 IBU. I'm checking this in right now on the app. You can't see me doing it, but I'm, I'm pushing the slide wheel here to a four. Uh, and I am going to give it the two pints up, pints up, pints down. We are going pints up, my friends. So, uh, more power to sound growler. And if you want to get some of this to take home for yourself, you can visit them at 8201 183rd street, sweet P in Tinley park, Illinois. I like saying sweet pea. Yeah, it was like a character on Popeye, I think, and who knows what the hell else, but it just sounds fun to say. So please go out to Tinley and visit them on 183rd Street at sweet pea, as in the letter, not the vegetable. That would be weird. Uh, Man, yeah, uh, only one beer to review this time on Pints Up, Pints Down, but damn it if it wasn't a great one. So uh, I hope that helps you guys out a little bit. Uh, if If it's a beer that you've never had before, Uh, something that I highly recommend. If you love IPAs, I think you'll love it. If you're kind of like me, where you're like, yeah, I like IPA, but with some uh, stipulations, I need some flavor, uh, the orange really comes through. So whether you're a big IPA nut or you're somebody like me that's more uh, about the flavor and likes their hops a little bit scaled back when possible, uh, I think both ends of the spectrum get satisfied by this beer flavor country flavor all the way uh four out of five stars on the untapped app for me in the case of this segment that translates to two pints up and we're gonna take a quick break but on the flip side of this promo you're going to hear segment three in my three-part series of live to tape reports on the scene at the goose island field goal challenge you don't want to miss the exciting conclusion did anybody make it did someone win did they come close uh did they crash and burn 
there's a little bit of all that. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. And then after that, you're going to hear our Here's to You segment with the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Kelly. Hear about how just a few years ago, he didn't know squat about beer. And now he's a brewmaster at one of the leading breweries in Temecula, California. It's a really inspirational story and uh, one that I think a lot of people would aspire to follow in his footsteps. If you have any interest in beer, listen to his story and see how you can just get your foot in the door. And who knows where you could be five years from now. Uh, really cool talking to him. And that's coming up as well here on the After Work Drinks podcast. For all the latest news and events, visit our page at twitter.com slash awdpod. And once you're there, make sure you never miss a tweet. Follow our Twitter handle at awdpod. All right, Pooch, I'm back. Holy cow. Jumping into my car here. Oh, oh, I cannot feel my feet. I cannot feel my fingertips, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever say that I don't love this podcast of mine. Uh, I uh, I did some things today. Oh, let's get this heat up before I get frostbite. So, I will uh, start off my, my recap by saying that... Uh, I came dressed here for for comfort, maybe, uh, for practicality of being able to have my my hands free to take pictures and, and videos and document the uh, field goal challenge at Goose Island today. And that may have been a mistake. I should have probably had like functional clothes along with bundled up, like the little kid in a Christmas story to the point that I can't move probably should have had like ways to alternate that kind of clothing uh which some people did because they're smarter than me but uh, I've got my fingerless gloves because I figured you need fingertips right you need your fingertips to maneuver your recording devices and uh that worked throughout the first half of the event and then you know your fingers go numb and you could barely hold your phone so that not wise on my part not wise then I wore some athletic shoes because I figured, you know what, let me do these running shoes because, uh, you know, I don't suspect I'm going to be able to participate, but you never know. You want the right kind of shoe on. And well, running shoes, you know, they have like that lightweight mesh stuff and the accumulation is not too terrible yet here in Chicagoland, but, uh, you know, the snow is still falling. So it was falling downward on top of the mesh on my shoes, meaning my feet were getting wet and cold regardless. Did not think this through, uh, but I did have my Bears gear on. I had my Bears sweats. I had my Bears hat. I was representing. And uh, essentially, the moral of the story today is that Goose Island proved its point. Kicking field goals is very, very hard. Uh, if anybody in the uh, in the area today that came down for the event uh, showed up thinking Cody Parkey sucks and I could do that, uh, they were definitely proven wrong, and I think that despite the fact that the snow obviously did not help the cause today, and uh, Parky's kick was not done in snow, but you know, you, you still you get the idea. Uh, I don't think there will be any smart asses that remain that either were here live or watched the web stream online, uh, the news coverage, uh, you know, that will inevitably be going on, on on this. Like, there's just no way that you can have that mindset. Yeah, you can go ahead and say, you know, Parky's body of work for the season. Um, you know, you still you still would rather have Robbie Goldback. That's fine. 
I would rather have Robbie Gold back too, but don't disparage Cody Parkey. Uh, yeah, we got bounced from the playoffs, but in my opinion and a lot of other smart people's, uh, the Bears they did a lot of other things wrong that you know could have been done better to win that game so it didn't come down to Cody Parkey's leg in the final seconds uh he did score nine of our 15 points that day so no more ragging on Cody Parkey but let's talk about how great this event was my god I had such a good time I really only planned to come down here take a few pictures and videos be like oh you know this is fun maybe I'll talk to a couple people and I'll leave um and then I just started to realize how grand of an event it was uh as I mentioned earlier um not just local coverage but national coverage uh ESPN flew Mike Golick Jr. out to this thing and he actually tried to make the kick uh his stretching was impressive the kick not so much but uh he was a really stand-up guy uh they had the hundred people that were wristbanded uh to attempt the kick officially on the record uh they had them all in like a heated garage thing uh kind of like a supply garage that goose island uses and he was hanging out talking with all those people getting chummy with them and then he came out and supported for about half of the event and i uh, just stood at the front of the line and was talking to all of them and uh i got to talk to him as well it was really cool and i resisted the urge to like mark out a little bit uh and you know do the whole i i watch you on tv i listen to you on the radio because duh like who doesn't everybody knows who he is uh if you follow sports didn't do that just talked to him like a dude and uh, it was cool he was making comments on everybody you know everybody good shot good attempt uh a lot of people their approach looked like legit boss like pro athlete setup uh looked like they knew what they were doing and then they kicked it in the dirt but uh it was fun had some laughs with mike golick uh even realized i was standing next to the president of goose island beer uh todd asherman and that was cool i talked to him for 15 minutes and again just uh same thing with golick jr uh basically just chatting you know having some good laughs talking about like hey you know that was a close winner oh look at how this guy's dressed you know some people obviously uh came looking for laughs and yuck yucks and uh had humorous outfits on uh uh, you had the people, you know, trying to provoke the crowd with uh, rival teams. But uh, like I said earlier, those people all crashed and burned. Uh, they were booed accordingly and then laughed at when they flopped. It was great. Um, but all around, just a lot of fun and great camaraderie. Um, we got a lot of people that were close that fell just short. They had it lined up, but they didn't have the distance. We had people that had the leg by just enough, but they were wide left, wide right. Um our our 100th guy you know like uh in this case the last guy going not mr irrelevant he was mr we're hanging our hopes on you and uh he kicked it true and straight but just not enough and uh he had an espn 1000 shirt i think he might have been one of their interns i saw adam abdallah if you listen to espn 1000 you know he's a, uh, a producer works over there um he was documenting it for their social media and um Man, just like so, so much fun. A lot of people were there. Uh, a lot of local news anchors and uh, things like that were there uh, doing interviews. And a couple of them, you know, got to got to try before the uh, the event kicked off. Just so much fun. Uh, I had an absolute blast. Uh, by the time this episode airs, our, our, our stuff will have long been on social media. So scroll back uh, a little bit. Uh, let's see. Today is Saturday, January 12th. Uh, this will come out later in the month. Uh, so just scroll back to, to the postings. I'm going to go drive home to where it is warm and just post tons of videos and pictures from this. Uh, so check out the After Work Drinks uh, social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Snapchat, all that stuff. We'll have it up there so you can see uh, some pictures and videos that I documented of this afternoon. And um, man, it was a really good time. Uh, 
the whole Cody Parkey missed field goal situation kind of like a, a one-off. It's not like this is going to become an annual thing. It was done for one reason and one reason only, and uh, I'm really happy I took the time to come down here in the crappy weather, in the freezing cold, in the slippery, bad driving conditions, dangerous weather that it was because uh, it was a good time. And a lot of people talking with strangers. I always love going to events where you can kind of bond with people just over um, an event or a cause or, or a commonality. Uh, you know, Bears fans just uh, having a good time together, people starting up chants, uh, yelling at guys, giving them nicknames when they were about to kick. We had Man Bun. Uh, that guy was fun. We had a guy that was Robbie Gold jersey, so of course he had Robbie, and uh, that was a cool one. We had people doing the Bears fight song, Bear Down Chicago Bears. Uh, they had the Goose Island uh, replica L train type uh, cart, and that usually is something they serve beer out of, but they could not get the license to serve the beer outdoors, so that was just used as a way to boom some nice music in the background, and uh, that was cool. We had all kinds of food trucks, coffee trucks, um, tacos, donuts, man, it just everybody came out full force. I know I'm rambling, but I, I'm just trying to give everybody the, the feel of what was going on today. It was great. Uh, nobody made it, so unfortunately nobody is going to an NFL game next season on Goose Island's tab. Uh, and of course, since nobody made it, nobody qualified to back it up to 65 yards and make that to go to this year's Super Bowl. But really, really cool. Uh, just props to everybody um, locally here at Goose Island Brew Pub that put this on. And then also on the national level, the fact that I was standing next to Todd Asherman and he was just a, a down-to-earth dude and talking with uh, all the Bears fans and all the Goose Island fans and just everybody who showed up today. You had people uh, with accents that sounded like they came from uh you know other countries like not for this event they probably live in chicago now i, w I would think but uh had a couple englishmen irishmen uh we had people that said they came from alabama they had a group of four or five roll tide and they had like a lot of fan clubs a lot of times when people were approaching to make their kick you had like 10 12 15 people hooting and hollering going for them uh shooting video for them uh so having pockets of fans even though you're just like a, a couch quarterback you know an armchair quarterback type thing and uh you know just a sports fan uh, a lot of people you know even though they failed miserably said that they had a, a fun time just having that feeling like having that moment it's not like hey i'm kicking a, a field goal to win a playoff game but it's kind of cool to just be surrounded by people and have them cheering you on hoping that you make it gives you like a small slice of the pie that it must feel like to be an athlete in that situation uh, i think everybody came away having an appreciation for field goal kickers football players cody parkey specifically and I do have to say, like, you know, as much as I could be down on Cody Parkey in general on the season, uh, I'm not that mad at him for missing that. In the moment, of course, yes, knocked my beautiful, beloved Bears out of the playoffs. But, um, you know, events like this make you make you see how, how hard sports can be and why all of us aren't professional athletes. Only a small percentage are actually good enough to do that. Um, this was just an awesome event. Uh, I feel like I've covered it all in my ramblings. Uh, if I didn't, hey, hit me up online and uh, I'll be sure to fill you in on any questions, comments, concerns you had about how this whole thing went down, uh, what the rules were 
uh, how close people came, uh, what other local celebs maybe popped up. Uh, I, I named a, a few that I recall. But yeah, hit us up, man. I, I would love to talk to uh, anybody about it that couldn't make it out today. Hopefully you at least got to see some of it on the live web stream or some of the canned versions that undoubtedly will be on uh, all the news channels and Goose Island, uh, you know, their their social media pages as well. I'm sure you could watch that at a later date. So uh, this is Pooch from the Goose Island Brew Pub on Fulton here in beautiful but yet freezing cold and snowy Chicago. Uh, I'm starting to get the feeling back in my fingers and toes, so I'm going to go home and warm up. And uh, this is me signing off. Let's throw it back to the studio, which I'm sure is being commandeered by myself and at least one other co-host. Uh, God, I love recording things at different times and piecing it together. I have no idea who I'm throwing it back to besides myself, but whoever you are, take it away. That was a fun but cold time out there in Fulton Street, the Goose Island Brew Pub, the Field Goal Challenge. Cody Parkey, you may not be a Chicago Bear come next season, but um, hey, you know what, buddy? Uh, cheers. I'm still here drinking this Sound Growler Brewing Company Orange Haze, Hazy West Coast IPA, and uh, you can't see it because this is an audio podcast, but I'm holding it up. Cheers to you, buddy. Tough luck. Uh, I don't think you're going to be on the team next year, but uh, I do agree with Goose Island and uh, what they did. To prove that it's not as easy as it looks on TV, boys and girls, uh, field goal kicking is hard. And when you go ahead and put thousands of people hooting and hollering in a, in a stadium and you got a line rushing you, even harder. So to the people that participated in the challenge, great, great try, guys. But really, even if any of you did make it, it's still just not the same as kicking in an NFL game. I'm sorry. You just don't know. So uh, cheers to Cody Parkey. May he find a new job soon with somebody else. Uh, I'm saying that kind of Swami-esque, predicting the future. He hasn't been cut yet, but it's totally going to happen. And uh, hopefully my Bears will go on to bigger and better things as head coach uh, Matt Nagy won Coach of the Year, and Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, won Assistant Coach of the Year. So, I mean, we're doing some things right here in Chicago. So, uh, let me get another schwap of this IPA. In celebration of my Bears, in celebration of an awesome Chicago event. And uh, now we're going to flip it. We're going to flip it. We're going to the coast. We're going from polar vortex, polar plunge, freezing cold, frostbite in under five minutes, don't expose your skin, Chicago, Illinois, and we're flying all the way to the West Coast. Coincidentally, while I'm drinking this West Coast IPA, I swear to God I didn't plan this. We're going to the West Coast, we're going to Temecula, California, we're talking to the brewmaster at Refuge Brewing, Mr. Dan Kelly, and we're going to talk about how he's wearing shorts. We're going to talk about how people don't know that the town he lives in has great breweries, great food, great entertainment, and you might not know, and he's going to do his best sell as a, a tour guide to try to bring you in there uh, the next time you're visiting sunny California. We're going to talk about using real fruits, not fake fruits. We're going to talk about squashing some blood orange and juicing that stuff for real in their flagship beer and uh, how a lot of pride and integrity goes into that. And we're going to talk about being uncompromising, about having integrity in that product and how that is the key word 
when it comes to refuge, uncompromising in their ingredients, in their efforts, and every last minute detail. It was a really, really good talk. So you know what? Grab yourself a drink, possibly a West Coast IPA or whatever you have that makes you think of Sunshine and Cali. We're going to give some California love. This is AWD's first featured interview that went out of state, outside of Illinois, to sunny California. And uh, I sat down and spoke with the head brewmaster, the head of brewing operations, Dan Kelly, Refuge Brewing, Temecula, California. So Dan and Refuge, as the segment always says, here's to you. Cheers from Ice Cold Chicago, gentlemen. It's time for our featured interview. It's a celebration. So raise your glasses. Here's to you. All right, it's Pooch here. I am on the phone with Mr. Dan Kelly, the head brewer and head of brewing operations at Refuge Brewery out in sunny California, which is a far cry from what's going on in Chicago right now. Dan, how are you doing out there? I'm doing well. How are you? I am very good. Uh, we are, we have snow. Uh, we have crazy wind chill. We have sub-zero temperatures. Uh, I think they said this coming week we're going to have a day where it could get as low as like 50 below zero. So <laughs> um, that's that's not cool. Like that, I'm not looking forward to that. How is the, how's the weather there? Much better, I, I assume. Well, I can look out the brewery window and see mountains with snow, and that's pretty much where it stops. It's kind of hard to see it with all the palm trees. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Currently, right now, it's about 70, you know, mid 70s right now. Um, but in the brewery with all the metal, it's probably, uh, it's a brisk, I would say, 62 degrees. All so right. I might actually wear, uh, I might actually wear pants when I, uh, when I mosey around today. See, I like this. I, I should come there and work with you. Most days, I don't have to wear pants. This is, this is the American dream right there. It's really, uh, brewers, brewers who brew in shorts always seem to make better beer, in my opinion. I, I think that might actually be a fact. I, I feel like the, the beer always tastes nice in the summer in Chicago, so that must be the trick, is the brewers are all wearing their short pants at that time. That's right. Uh, let's just jump into uh, a little bit. Uh, maybe before we talk specifically about Refuge, let's talk about your history. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the business and uh, basically what you were doing up until the point where you became the head brewer at Refuge? Yeah, so uh, my my path is a little different than most. Um, I actually have ne- I've only homebrewed once. Never really was into homebrewing. Never was really into beer through my college years. Um, didn't really uh, even think of craft beer until probably around six years ago. Uh, my brother actually was working at uh, Refuge at that time. Um, I was actually working in an office job. Um, really was unsatisfied with just where my life was and where I was where I was sitting every day in a, with a suit and tie. It just really wasn't, uh, wasn't something that I really wanted to do long-term. Um, luckily enough, my wife is very supportive. She encouraged me to try to find something that I was passionate about. Um, ended up floating around, just kind of just menial job, just to kind of, uh, just kind of keep my head above water, and uh, ended up having an opportunity to package, uh, just doing some canning for Refuge, right when they first started the can around oh, about four and a half years ago. Um, I just kind of jumped on board. Uh, owners are really cool. Um, it's a family-owned business, so I was really tight-knitted. And so hopped in, just kind of just got my feet wet and 
then after uh, after a little bit of time, they decided to expand. We took over the building next to us and almost quadrupled our size. Um, knocked out walls, set up glycol lines, concrete, the whole nine. Um, I have a history in uh, a little bit of history in construction, so I have a general knowledge of how to do uh, just odd tasks. So that's what I did for the next six months. After that, um, they were appreciative, um, and as good owners as they were and are, um, they decided to send me to Seabull uh, School of uh, School of Brewing Technology, um, where I got my degree from for brewing. And right when I was finishing, uh, the head brewer quit here, and they just decided that they'd give me a go. I picked up the reins and about two months later they officially named me head brewer and that was about uh, two years ago and then as of about six months ago i took over the uh, brewing uh, director of brewing ops um for the brewery as well so that's pretty much my story it's nothing 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 fine and dandy uh, it was just kind of a circumstantial and kind of literally fell into um, what has really turned into my passion brewing beer that's actually a, a really fantastic story uh just based on the fact that uh, I'm kind of in a, a similar situation as what you just described. I just left a job just because I was kind of like, yeah, this, this office life isn't for me. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to end up being a head brewer somewhere <laughs> someday. But I, I do kind of have uh, getting my foot in the door maybe somewhere in the industry as like something that might actually mesh well with my passion. So it's actually cool to hear that uh, you started out just getting your foot in the door canning and now you're a head brewer. So uh, I guess that's an inspirational story for anybody that feels like nervous about taking a leap and uh, changing what they're doing with their life, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Now, let's talk uh, specifically about Refuge. Uh, what year did Refuge get established? So, actually, that's kind of a loaded question, so it depends on who you ask. Um, there'll be a different, a different, not that it's a wrong answer or a right answer, but Refuge itself actually started in a garage. Um, Refuge actually started with uh, two families. Um, the Wickers and the Kutras, um, they were actually good friends. They, they worked together uh, on other estate projects, but they were, they've always been kind of friends. Uh, they homebrewed together, and, and Kurt and Glenn um, kind of got this idea to start, at, I think it was 2011, it's actually when they decided to launch a brewery, um, they, and they took it kind of a, a step further. Uh, Kurt, with his... Uh, he is an engineer, and he actually owns the company called SS Brewtech, um, big name in, in homebrew, but also making a name for themselves here in the, in the pro side as well. Um, and then they officially opened their doors uh, in 2012 um, to the public here in Temecula, and uh, been going strong ever since. Awesome. Now, uh, you did mention when you were talking about your history and how you came to be where you're at right now uh, that you quadrupled in size. So uh, what exactly were like maybe like the bullet points of uh, how good business was going to where that was like an opportunity that was afforded for you guys and, um, you know, something that maybe was necessary to, uh, you know, keep growing the business? Yeah, so the company itself kind of got uh, a kickstart from, uh, I would say, favor, uh, maybe a little bit of luck, um, divine intervention. Um, Mitch Steele is, uh, is basically the, the name when it comes to craft beer here in Southern California. He was the master brewer for Stone um, for over a decade. Now he's opened up a brewery in, uh, in Georgia called New Realm Brewing. Um, he actually, when, during his time at Stone, um, he actually lived in Temecula, and he commuted down to Escondido, um, about an hour south of Temecula towards San Diego. And he just found our brewery. And from what I've been told, since I was not with the company at that time, 
Um, Mitch really liked our beer, loved what we were doing, um, loved the blood orange wit that we were that we were putting out. Um, recommended us to Stone Distribution. Stone Distribution, and eventually ended up picking us up. And through those five years, the last five years, we've become Stone Brewery's fifth uh, fifth most moved product um, in their entire portfolio. So obviously, it was it's a bit of I would say it's a bit more uh, luck than it was anything else because that. Although there's a lot of breweries that make excellent beer, but it really just comes down to circumstance. And uh, that was really what kind of launched us into where we were able to grow, um, where we had a demand to expand from, you know, two 40 barrel fermenters and a couple 20s to now five 60s and, and four 40s is what we're currently um, using in production right now. See, that was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, you know, you talk about loaded question. That was a loaded answer because it pretty much checked a bunch of boxes of, of things that I was hoping to touch on. Um, so I guess first thing first, you mentioned the blood orange wit. Now, uh, the reason I know about you guys, uh, unfortunately, I haven't made it out there personally, but one of my frequent co-hosts on the program, Danielle, she was out there in November. And so she was telling me that, you know, she loved the the tap room uh you know, like, like love the look and feel of it. And she did a flight and she also tried the blood orange wit and that was her favorite one. Uh, I think she took some cans home as well. I forget which one she said that was, but uh, I have already heard the the lore of the, the blood orange wit. So I was going to ask you if you have like um, any like staple beers that are, you're really known for or that are almost always on tap. Uh, would that be one of the signature ones then that, uh, that everybody's a fan of? Yeah, it's it's the blood orange wit is pretty much about I would say about sixty percent of our distributed uh, distributed beer uh, every year. It's obviously the driving force and and this company and the growth of it. Mainly, the blood orange itself is what kind of showcases. Since we don't use any uh, extract or any concentrate or anything like that, we use the first day of every brew. Um, we actually juice four hundred pounds of uh of blood oranges that we actually freeze we have to freeze it just to kill off any bacteria and we pull it back in and then treat it clean it and then go ahead and actually we have an industrial juicer that we use and we juice 400 pounds for every 60 barrel batch that we do wow Um, it seems to be everyone's favorite um it's definitely it's it's obviously it, it won uh gold at gabf in 2017 and so it's it's just a, it's a beer we're really proud of. It's a beer that uh, I hope you know even non craft beer drinkers can appreciate. Yeah, and I think that's the the key with uh, a lot of craft breweries is some people are kind of shy. You know, they're used to like the domestic beers that can go anywhere and get. So you got to find something that's kind of like that gateway to just get them to try it and have it not be like too daunting. Uh, you know, to pull them in. So uh, it sounds delicious from what I've heard from Danielle. You you describing it right now makes me want to hop on a plane and go go get some. <laughs> but. Besides the blood orange wit, like that one's, I guess the the backbone from what you just told me. Are there any others that you would say are kind of like synonymous with you guys that are like really like a driving force that you're well known for? Well, I mean, we're we're currently kind of expanding. Our company has uh, been, I won't want to say complacent, but we've been kind of resting on our blood orange wit. And so as of late, we've been pushing more products in, and we've actually added two more beers to our core. Um, that are year-round beers. Uh, we obviously we put out a grapefruit IPA, which is actually technically a released right before Grapefruit Sculpin uh, at Ballast Point. We released it, and then it was kind of it didn't really get a good reception just because of Ballast Point. Um, they kind of overdid it, but as of late, it's actually making a really nice search. Uh, people really seem to enjoy it. Disneyland has actually picked it up. Oh um, wow, that's and it's, pretty huge, and it's, right? <laughs> and it's, yeah, and so it's taken over their craft. 
uh, their craft area as well. Um, obviously, it's still it's still craft. We're still small, so but I mean, it's it's a big it's a big movement in the right direction for us. Um, we also do a uh, a hoppy red, which is actually my favorite out of all of our core beers that we have. It's a West Coast style uh, red ale hopped with uh, Cascade. It's a, it's just you know it's one of those ones where those people that think IPAs are just too heavy and they just give them or they give them gnarly hangovers, whatever the case may be. This is just a nice kind of gives you the malt that you want, but at the same time gives you a nice hot backbone that you can actually enjoy uh, multiple cans of. Um, we also have a blonde, which is actually gaining footage every day. Um, I made that beer actually because it was a selfish reason. I made that beer because I was sick and tired of try- not being able to drink multiple beers uh, in the hot weather here when I'm trying to relax over the summer. Yeah. So I actually made what my representation of is the champagne of craft beer. Um, <laughs> it's, a real, it's a 4.8, nothing, nothing to it, very, very clean, very crisp um, uh, blonde ale that just allows you to, I say it's endearing. You can either sip it. Or you can shotgun it. Either one, you're going to enjoy it. It's not a beer that you're going to feel like you um, you need to you need to cherish it, but it's one of those ones that will keep you keep you hydrated. I like the the tagline for it. You got to copyright that. If if Miller and the High Life is the champagne of beers, then you add that extra word. It's the champagne of craft beers. I like that. Yeah, I, I will say this. I I push the owners to say, to to put this on the can, but they uh, our owners are very traditional. They don't like to they don't like to poke the bear as much as some craft people do, which yeah. I can totally respect. But uh, I always thought it would be hilarious to have a tagline spelled right because it was brewed right, but right spelled R I T E. I like but that. But they thought that that might have been poking the bear a little too much. Uh, I get it. I, I I think I'm the mentality, uh, 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 same mentality as you. I, I kind of like that. That's the kind of stuff that would amuse the heck out of me. <laughs> but I, yeah. I also understand being cautious and not wanting to uh, ruffle feathers as well. So I get it. Um, now, obviously, you told me that you guys went from a smaller operation to now much larger output and way more equipment in there, quadrupled in size. Um, how many beers would you say that you have on, on tap at once at any given day? In the tasting room, we have we have twenty uh, twenty well, I guess twenty two taps. So technically, only twenty one. Uh, we do a homemade root beer as well, so we have that beer. That technically, that root beer is on tap. But at any point in time, we have uh, twenty uh, twenty beers on tap, um, ranging from barrel age uh, to uh, to sours to uh, Belgian strongs to IPAs, hazy IPAs, wits, um, all the way across the board. We have, traditionally have some saisons on the board as well. So um, it's definitely a big, uh, a big part of who we are that we like to have a little bit of everything for everyone. So that's that's also a nice part about uh, this brewery. We have a five barrel pilot system that we can kind of turn and burn some of these beers a little quicker and kind of keep our creativity kind of lit rather than having it. You know, we have to wait four or five months before beer kind of gets pushed through the tasting room. So it's definitely an advantage that we have here as well. Nice. Uh, actually, uh, reminds me, if you ever find yourself in the Chicago area, one of my favorite breweries is uh, Imperial Oak Brewing. And pretty much what you just described is, is somewhat similar to to them. They have around like 20, 21, I think, taps. And 
Um, they're constantly trying to rotate that as much as they can. They do a lot of stuff where it's like, hey, you know, it's on. Once it's gone, it's gone. We're on to the next one. And, um, you know, just a lot of options, uh, all styles of beer. And it's it's nice. But it, it's almost like with the fast food joints that have, like, the really awesome, like, special sandwich that's limited time only. And you're like, no, I like it. Like, stay forever. Like, that's what happens sometimes with the beer. So it's cool because it gets you trying more things. You, you know, if you, if you go back frequently, uh, the menu turns over often enough. And that's like a huge positive but then when it leaves and it was like a new favorite for years then it's like no like how many months or whatever before you guys make it again so i see both sides I mean, of that it, but people don't like it but it's good marketing man you gotta it's supply and demand just the oldest of all terms and when it comes to sales it really is i mean maybe maybe you can ask the bosses if you could put that on a can like it's the mcrib of beers because it's limited time only <laughs> and when it's gone you're not going to see it again until next year and uh it's just going to build anticipation i i don't know uh, I don't know if McRib's the best example as far as uh, being appetizing for most, <laughs> but, but it's kind of now nowadays everyone's they put everyone's putting everything in beers nowadays. So it wouldn't surprise me if one day we have a McRib order or something like that. Yeah, it's just uh, definitely I, I feel like uh, beer, uh, fast food, and there's probably several other industries where it's like that whole. Uh, supply and demand and just like anticipation of like making something feel like a special occasion so uh when you rotate beers often enough I, I feel like there's that anticipation it's here you know people love it and then they can't wait to see it when it comes back again also the whole thing with lots of choices you mentioned you know having beers that can kind of bring people uh in that aren't necessarily like a craft beer drinker something that's you know easy enough for them you know not a shock to the system and i feel like if you give them 20 choices uh, there's got to be something there that they're willing to try and that they might enjoy that can kind of help them become more of a craft person. Yeah, that's and that's obviously that's the goal of any craft beer drinker in my or craft beer uh, brewer. Really, it's it's not it's not enough just to make good beer for the craft beer drinker. It's really to attract non-craft beer drinkers to the actual market itself. And that's one thing that I think uh, a lot of brewers do a really good job at. And there's some brewers that just that's not their focus. And I think it's a shame because the more people that can enjoy uh, what we're doing here, the more appreciation. Uh, can kind of be given to the guys that are really the innovators in, in what they're doing. Um, people have a tendency to kind of forget that, you know, 15-ish years ago, uh, people smocked and, and laughed at IPAs and thought IPAs weren't really a, 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 a weren't beer. And look at where we are today. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I hope soon that people can kind of get on board with, hey, man, like craft beer, is, it's, it's not hoity-toity. It's not supposed to be for only certain kinds of people. It really is. Uh, it's it's a high quality product that should be enjoyed by as many people as possible. I'm so happy to hear you say that, and and for that to be the attitude, because there definitely I felt like there was a period like when I was getting into craft beer where you know um, people would just be like like oh like Miller Budweiser like ah oh, I look down on that and you know the the kind of like the craft beer snob and I feel like certain people being that way because they had craft beer also kind of pushed away maybe their friends that just are used to like go to the grocery store and I get my you know watered down four percent domestic whatever. Um, and then those people kind of felt like intimidated by craft beer, like, oh, it's this like special club and I'm not in it. And no, that's not how it should be. I think every craft brewer should try to, you know, have a wide range of, of options as you do and just try to uh, be welcoming and bring in that maybe first time craft beer drinker and hopefully get them to like grow into it and then, you know, come into the fold. Because craft beer, I feel year after year seems to just be exploding and, and breweries popping up everywhere all across, you know, the U.S. And it's just really cool to see. I, I'm loving. It. Yeah, I completely agree. You can't take yourself too seriously. It just doesn't. It never works out for anyone when they do. 
Now, let's talk, uh, you mentioned, obviously, there's, there's distribution um, and obviously canning. Now, when the brewery first started out, and again, I know like your time, uh, you know, there's probably stuff going on before your time, but from what you know, um, was canning always a thing? I know like a lot of breweries start maybe with like a mobile canner comes through and do, does some select things, and then you get your own canning system and then kind of boom from there. Like what was the, the process as far as, uh, if you know, like when canning started, if it was before your time, and like how did it excel from there? I mean, that's I mean, it's pretty much exactly carbon copy for most breweries. It's the same thing for us. We initially started canning uh, the blood orange wit, um, and then again, that was be- this was actually before that I was here. We did have mobile canners come in. Um, they did that for about I would say probably about maybe less than six months, um, and then after that. Uh, they decided to make the move to buy their own canner. And the first canner they ended up buying was a uh, three-head filler from TAF out of Canada. Um, and they bought that one. Um, it was great for what it was. That's, I mean, that's how I learned. Uh, it's the one I grew up on, so to speak. And uh, about on last year, probably for about a good two years. And then after that, they, uh, they decided to make the move to uh, ABE. And we bought ourselves a nice seven-head filler, and we've been now we're, we went from canning blood orange for the first, I would say, probably year and a half to now we can, on uh, yearly, we can ten, uh, five beers year-round, five different kinds of beers year-round, and then we have special releases, um, one to two special release cans every month. So definitely a, a wide swing from, you know, the, 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 hand, the, the hand-filling days to, to where we are now. <laughs> And now the uh, distribution through Stone, uh, you said you're like the fifth biggest in their portfolio. Uh, where does that reach? Where can people get your beer? How far are you distributed? Well, Stone's grasp is ever expanding um, here in Southern California. Um, right now, we are through L, uh, through Ventura, which is about an hour, about about actually I'd say about 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes north of Los Angeles, okay, um, and then all the way down to San Diego. So um, right now we're we're basically through Stone. We're through the middle of California, all the way down all Southern California. Um, when it comes to other distributions, we have one that's uh, based out of the Bay Area, and then we also have another one that's based out of the Phoenix, Arizona area. So that's those are the base the main places that we are. Again, we don't we're not really focused on going. Unfortunately, going towards your neck of the woods, just because of the the, the fresh the fresh and the freshness of the actual fruit itself, right, um, is really important to us. And to be able to ship it all the way over there just really wouldn't give the consumer a good enough product. It's not enough for the product to sell. We want the product to be re- rebought is our big thing. Uh, it's not enough for us to, for you to try it once. Um, our impression is we want you to have to, we want you to try it again uh, and then keep buying it over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I could already just basically tell myself you need to go out to California because of the weather. So now if there's like beer that's delicious that I can only get in that area, you know, that's just another reason for me to hop on a plane. So I'll stock up there and and try to bring it back home is what what I'll do. Um, Now talk to me with uh, the distributions you mentioned a minute ago that you said you have about like five that you you can all the time. And then every now and then you'll have like two that you'll do like a special canning. Uh, When you do that, are those special beers part of your distribution, or are those cans only something exclusive to the tap room that you have to come to you to pick up? Yeah, so the we do um, obviously besides our five core beers, we do 
two di- uh, distributed beers uh, through collaborations every year. We do one with Stone and Liberty Station, and then we do another one with Pizza Port uh, Brewing as well. Um, and then we have four specialty release beers that we release through our distributors. Um, and those are uh, it's basically one a quarter. Uh, other than that, everything else we do, any kind of specialty beers, any kind of like, you know, crazy triple IPAs, double IPAs, porters, all that kind of, uh, all the, the real, the stuff we like, not, I wouldn't say we put all of our heart and soul into, but the ones we're really like really passionate about, the ones that seem to get a little bit more love um, in the sense of, um, it's not something that our owners will allow us to put in distribution just because the you know price point it doesn't really make sense like the real the real bell of the ball uh, so to speak those ones are only available in house um, and obviously we do that for a couple of reasons number one uh, it's it, we want good solid beers going out in the market we want people to enjoy them that can't really necessarily get here to Temecula but also for the city of Temecula we want to be a focal point. We want people to look at Temecula as a as a uh, an option for. Hey, I want to go to Temecula because that's where all that's where the beer that's that's where the really good beer is. Um, when you get distribution, a lot of people lose that, and they're like, okay, I just want to I want to. You're basically casting. I always use the analogy: you're casting lines out um, with no intention of reeling them back in. All you're doing is you're just throwing bait out. It's like chump, just throwing it out, throwing it out and hoping people uh, pick it up and hope people will enjoy it. Uh, in my opinion, being someone who was born and raised here in Temecula, um, I want to I want Refuge to be almost like a magnet. I want it to pull people into Temecula. So not only do they enjoy our beer, hopefully, um, but they also enjoy the rest of what Temecula has, the wineries, the, uh, the, the, the culinary uh, that they have here in, in Old Town Temecula is some of the best you're going to find, in my opinion. Um, it's just, it's, it's not enough to just say, Oh, Hey, it's a refuge. They're in Temecula. I've never been to Temecula. If that's not enough, it needs to be, Oh, Temecula. I need to go there. Refuge, refuge is known for some good stuff. And then, you know, they'll find out that iron fire down the street, their brewery is fantastic. You know, the, what they're doing over at, you know, black market or electric or eight bit and all these different breweries that we have around here where these brewers are really putting their heart and soul into making fantastic beer. Um, and you're actually doing a great job with your answers, just naturally like flowing into like where I want to go in this conversation, which is great. So you just mentioned a lot of other breweries that are in your neck of the woods. And uh, uh, one thing that I always notice here in Chicago, and I think it's uh, universally uh, applicable, is that the craft beer community, it's, it's exactly that. It's community. There's collaboration and uh, not so much competition. Like everybody wants everybody else to also succeed. There's, you know, enough pieces of the pie for everybody uh, just to like build up the whole, you know, national craft beer scene. With that being with that being the case, like what would you say is like the importance of of the craft beer community in in all of California and then specifically in Temecula and like the surrounding towns and cities there? Um, you know, what is the the feel there maybe compared to somebody else? Like if you can maybe dive into that, like the relationship that you have with all these other breweries. I mean, you're naming the the owners and the brewers by names, so I assume that there's a tight pack there amongst all of you guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, just inherently, uh, I'm not a guy who goes around to other breweries a ton um, to, like, you know, to rub elbows with the guys. I mean, I do know all of them very well. Like, I, on a first name, you know, I'll call you if I need to talk to you kind of on a first name basis. Um, but I will tell you, it's it's really the quality of beer that you're looking for. When, when you have a group of people in one singular area, um, it's just, it's like a homing beacon. And people... 
people notice craft beer drinkers for all their faults and all their and all their glory. One thing they do is they do their damn research, man. They research the hell out of where they want to go because when they go, they don't go to one place. They go to multiple places, and they really they they really hone in on what they're looking for and, and make the most out of their trip. And so when it, when you get Refuge, who opened up, you know, back in 2012, um, alongside Weems, uh, alongside you know. Uh, some of the other breweries, like, you know, obviously Black Market was the very first brewery that opened up in, uh, in Temecula. And by, by having more, it's not a matter of quantity, it's a matter of quality. But when you can put those two together and you can have quality and quantity, it's almost like a, some kind of superhero power where you're, 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 you're combining your powers to draw in what everyone's looking for, which is, which is customers. Uh, and that's the great thing. No one really wants to go to a place, you know, no one wants to go to, some random town where there's one brewery and if they make a lot, if they make great beer, the likelihood of them coming is like, but there's only one thing to do there. Like what else are we going to do? Yeah. But when you have, Oh, well, no, it's like when you have the, I always say we want to be along the argument where people are debating, which is the better brewery in Temecula. If you're in that conversation, that's a great thing for everyone involved, regardless of your first or fifth, because you're now in a conversation of, Oh, there's so many good. Let's have a debate of which one is the best. If you go to some towns, you're like, Oh, well, Boot Shine Brewery is the, by far the best, and everyone else is kind of they're okay. Like that's not gonna that's not a driving force for the for the industry, and that's one thing that it's awesome working in this area is because literally I can literally throw a rock and hit three breweries uh, that are around us that do amazing work and really take a passion. Uh, and take their passion to the next level to produce really, really good products for their customers. And that's awesome because you're, you're pushing each other. Uh, so you're just, you know, basically raising the bar. Uh, and it obviously creates that thing where there is a a town, a city, even, you know, a neighborhood or in some cases a block. Like you said, you know, you can throw you can throw a stone at a couple other breweries that are right by you. Um, that's like the coolest like destination thing to have as a craft beer drinker is uh, when you go on vacation. And though the beer aspect of it may not be the primary reason why you're on vacation in this place. Um, I know so many people that either, hey, because I'm going to be with my family in this town or because I have to travel for work and you know what, when I clock out at five, I'm going to go ahead and try to research what breweries are in this town. Um, it just seems to be like a, a natural like subset to most people's travel plans now if you're into beer is, okay, I'm going to be in such and such town. Where can I get good beer? What are the good breweries? And it helps when you find out that you've got like five really awesome ones within 10 minutes of each other. How, what a great marketing strategy. Making making visiting your family bearable. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it could definitely work. I mean, that's the thing, too, is, is Temecula, Marietta, and even into Lake Elsinore. I mean, there are, I mean, you can, I think there's like, I think we have 12, maybe 13 breweries. And realistically, I mean, everyone puts out a good product. I mean, there's obviously going to be ones that people don't like. There's always going to be ones that, that there's some breweries. And obviously, I have my opinion on who, who's around the top and who's around kind of like the bottom of, you know, this area. Um, but the main thing is, is my opinion is nothing. My opinion means nothing because my opinion is going to be vastly different from someone who has a different palate. Right. Um, and that's the best thing too. It's different, different strokes for different folks. And I mean, what might not be your favorite beer or favorite brewery might be someone else's and, and just to have the options there is great. And I think that's, um, a unique thing with the craft beer industry is 
you know, if you see fast food joints across the street from each other or competing gas stations kitty corner from each other at a four-way stop, you know, like those guys are out to steal each other's business and undercut each other. But you guys are just like providing this thing where it's like, hey, uh, I'm in Temecula with my family or my friends and it's not a competition. It's like a, a celebration that like, hey, all four of these breweries are great. Let's do a little little bar crawl and try all of these breweries. And it's just a, a really cool thing that I think you don't get uh, with a lot of other industries and a lot of other businesses. They're all out to get each other. You guys really just uh, lift the bar with each other and raise the bar to bring, like you said, like a beacon, a higher profile to Temecula to get people to like have that on their radar and for it to be on the map for all kinds of things, uh, including your beer and, you know, food and everything else that you guys have to provide. Um, speaking of something that would usually include beer, food, and all kinds of other entertainment, uh, are there any big fests that you guys participate in? Like, do you, uh, you know, go and do the whole like booth and set up and bring some of your beers for people to try at like the big beer fest? I assume that there's probably some around that area. Yeah, we, we t- traditionally don't reach out as, an, enough, in my opinion. We definitely, there are some things that are uh, lacking, just like any other company. Um, we don't go to too many of those uh, those events. We do participate in the Stone Anniversary Party every year. But when it comes to big uh, big festivals, the, really the only one that I think we may have gone to once was Booza Palooza, uh, where Mammoth Brewing Company uh, puts on every year. It's a big festival up in the mountains. Um, but for the most part, it's not, uh, and it's not a dig on, on, on our event schedule. It's really a more of a, a, a focusing effort where we want to focus our beer. And it really has been a focus on kind of, I guess not the masses, but kind of, I mean, when you go to a beer festival, they're fun. There's so much fun, man. There's like, they're a blast to go to. I mean, it's just a bunch of people just really celebrating craft beers. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to it, 45 minutes, an hour into it, everyone's pretty much shellacked. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what it should be. It should be a party. It should be a safe area for people just to party in and enjoy good beer and good people. But it's definitely it's something that we have only of late really focused on something that we need to start doing a little bit more just because it's not fun not to be going to the parties. We are, we're always invited to go to them, but we never go. And it's it's something that we have, have of late, now that we've gotten um, our IPA programs off uh, off the ground and our and our new core beers off the ground, um, it actually is a focal point for us in the future to to start getting to these events. That's good, and and since you guys haven't been able to make them out, uh, make it out to them quite as frequently, maybe you're like the golden goose now. So like it's just like that build until you finally do, and it'll be a, a big celebration. That that we refuge is is at all the fests now. <laughs> we can only hope. Hundred percent agree with you uh, as far as like the the importance of of fests. Like you know you meet great people, you can basically just instantly form camaraderie with complete strangers and, and get chummy chummy and meet, you know, some really awesome people. And it's just based off a common interest in, in craft beer. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, as much as it's nice to say like, Hey, I want to go to this part of town and I can hit these three breweries. It's even better when you go to like a huge event and you're like, there's 50, 60 breweries here. Oh my God. They've all come to me on one plot of land. Like let's go nuts and, and try no as many ever, as we can. No one ever brings their worst beer. Oh, no. Yeah. They always bring the ones that you really want to try. That's really the only drawback I can see to uh, to Fest is that sometimes it's just like, oh, my God, I want to try everything once, but it's physically not possible. I'll keel over. <laughs> That's really the people only drawback. But, uh, but people definitely try. Yeah, they, 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 they do. 
they get their pretzel necklaces and they hope that it can uh, soak up the beer, but eventually the beer always <laughs> wins. But yeah, uh, it, it's good to have the option to, to try. Uh, and now since you guys haven't been in, in the past super focused on going out to those fests, I assume that means that you're a little bit more focused on your immediate area, your tasting room. I follow you guys on Instagram, and I saw this really cool thing that you do with glass blowing. Uh, would that be one of the top events that you guys do regularly? Um, I would definitely say it's probably one of the more intriguing ones that we do. Uh, Dan McStalker is uh, he's, he's basically he's in charge of all of our distribution. He's our distribution manager, um, and one of his passion projects is actually glass blowing. So he does he has a studio down in San Diego where he lives, but you know from time to time he wants to you know scope out and kind of do workshops. Uh, in the sense of people watching, they don't actually get to blow glass because obviously it's extremely dangerous. Uh, a lot of heat involved, a lot of hot glass. But um, he's extremely talented, man. He just uh, he uh, along with you know his ability to sell our product. Um, the guy makes some incredible artwork, and it, just like anything else, you can call it craft glass blowing to go along with craft beer. But uh, that's one of the ones we do every other weekend. He comes up, he heats up his kiln, and. He has hot glass sitting here on Sunday morning, and it's uh, it's something cool for people, especially in the winter months, uh, to, to come in here. And you can feel the heat from the actual um, kiln and everything he's got going on here. Um, it's, a, it's a real fun event. I mean, I'm here about 60 hours a week throughout the week, and I'll still find myself coming in on those weekends just to watch him work. So it's a, it's a real cool experience that we're able to give some of our customers that come in on Sundays. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, we always try to keep events kind of – kind of new and fresh, um, you know, whether that be, uh, we, we, we host a summer, uh, like kind of summer nights, uh, well, actually it's called summer nights, uh, party, which is live music, food truck, kind of just a re- couple uh, beer releases come out. We do those periodically as well. Um, but the main thing is, is, is just keeping it fresh. Nothing's really ever the same. We don't traditionally duplicate things, um, to the point of, uh, we don't let it die out. It's pretty much our thing. We don't let it, you know, it starts with 100 people and all of a sudden it's, you know, down to 10. And we're like, all right, maybe we should stop doing this. We, we, we keep things the same way we keep our beer. We release it every so often. And when enough people are asking for it again, we'll do it again. Right. You got to you gotta keep it feeling special. The, the second that, uh, you know, just like the beer, uh, an event is always available. Like, oh, yeah, they do this every other day or every, you know, every week. Like, you get a little burnt out because it gets to a point where everybody's seen it, everybody's participated. So, yeah, it's definitely cool to keep it fresh. Um, when you guys are rotating, you know, new events and new releases and things like that, uh, I know you have your event calendar. Can you go ahead and, and give the listeners your website so they can keep up on events like that? Yeah, so our website is just going to be refugebrew.com. Um, so you know, obviously, we are on all facets of social media. We have Instagram, Facebook, um, and then obviously the Untapped and all that kind of uh, all the beer apps as well. So obviously, if anyone wants to get hold of us, we're not we're not hard to find. It's refuge one e, um, not not the refugee like most people uh, seem to make the mistake. It's just Refuge Brewing Company, and uh, based out of Temecula, so. All right, and what's the what's the exact address of the tasting room? If uh, anyone's listening locally, or the next time they're on vacation there, uh, visiting in uh, the Temecula area, want to drive on in, what would the uh, the street address be? We are at four three zero four zero Rancho Way. That's in Temecula, California. 
And thank God for anybody that maybe missed any of uh, the website, the address, or social media. Google is a very, very powerful tool, and you can easily find all this information uh, on the web as well. Uh, I want to leave you with one final question, and it may end up with like uh, a little synopsis of some stuff you've already touched on. But uh, I think you said in the very first minute we started talking that anyone, you know, makes great beer. And that's exactly why we have this question. Uh, we like to ask, what do you consider one or more differentiators? What is the unique thing or things that set you guys apart from the rest that maybe you do differently or do better than everyone or that you're known for? Um, I feel like every brewery, for the most part, makes good beer. So it's not enough to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, come see us because we make good beer. Everybody does. So what makes Refuge stand out? Very loaded question. Um, I feel like this might be like an interview recap question, right? I I know you've definitely said some very (laughs) impressive things. Personally, for me, it's not, like I said, like like we've already discussed, uh, it's not enough just to make great beer. But the main thing for for me as a brewer, this is really the only thing I can attest to, uh, uh, is because of the way I was raised, the uh, the way I came about, you know, the 33 years that I've been on this earth, um, it's, I think the word that comes to mind is uncompromising. I don't compromise when it comes to ingredients. I don't compromise when it comes to, oh, it's good enough, or they won't notice, or who really cares. Um, it's really the dedication to the uncompromising of what your standards are. Um, could I use, could we use fake fruit? Yes, we could. Would it be cheaper? Heck yeah, it would. Maybe a lot cheaper, a lot less man hours. But is that what we're going to do? Is that is that where we're going to drop off? Uh, it's conversations that we constantly have in the brewery. I mean, obviously, the, the bottom line is always going to be something that's going to be discussed. Uh, but what makes Refuge, and one of the reasons why I'm proud of Refuge, is our owners are bought into the idea that we do not, we we will not compromise when it comes to the, what our product is and what it has always stood for. Uh, it's not enough to have people that are avid beer drinkers that love, you know, the blood orange wit. It's the confidence that those people have in us that we are not going to compromise and we're not going to change what we do and how we do things just to get an extra 3 or 4% on our profit margins. It's, that's not what we're going to do. It's never what we're going to be about. Um, our, our, we're uncompromising in, in how we do things, and we're uncompromising to the point where it's never going to be good enough. The, the beer we have is never going to be good enough. It's never going to be something that we are, we are – we're sitting back on our on our morals. It's it's not it's not about that. It's always about getting that uncompromising attitude to kind of in just kind of infect everyone that's around us. And and that's not only for the people that come in and drink our beer, but also the people that want to come in and work for us. That's the number one thing I always ask people is how comp like how, what's like what's your conviction to the craft beer? And uh, I think that's what's something that sets us apart from a lot of different places. That's fantastic. I absolutely love that answer. Uh, I feel like you kind of know immediately, like you barely got 10 words out of your mouth and and I kind of like clicked and what you were saying about just kind of like the integrity in the product and caring about even the most minute details that someone that's not in the industry that doesn't make beer might not notice, but like it would bother you if you didn't give 110% on it. And like, that's how I've always been like with my craft with like radio and podcasting. That's how, you know, all people that are great at a profession, uh, you know, at a hobby, at a passion of theirs, like that's really the, the secret sauce behind it is, uh, just having that drive to, 
basically always improve and make it the best it can be. So I uh, definitely know that if I wasn't already looking to go out to nice sunny California and, uh, you know, I didn't exactly have a destination like in mind, like I have a friend that lives in L.A., but I was like, oh, you know, I know people in San Diego. Like it might just be like rerouting my course right now. I might need to go to Temecula to go get some refuge brews. I might have to go uh, see 8-Bit. I might have to go get some of the food that you touched on. Uh, you just basically like sold me as a tourist. So Dan, I, I appreciate all the info that you gave us today. Uh, Dan Kelly, head brewer at Refuge Brewery in Temecula, California. Thank you so much for sitting down with us on the phone today and uh, giving us this awesome information about your brewery. I know I will get there as soon as humanly possible and uh, definitely to try to escape the Chicago weather that we're having. It would be wonderful to have some nice blood orange wit and have it be 70 as opposed to have it be 30 below with the wind chill. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me on, man. Anytime you guys want to chat about beer, uh, you have my number. I'd be more than welcome, uh, more than willing to talk with you guys. Definitely. I would love to uh, do this again and definitely would like to uh, keep in touch. So when I do make it out there, I can touch base with you. Thanks again, Dan. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Want to get in touch with the show? Email us at awdpodcast at gmail.com. And that's about going to do it for this one, but I've got to give some shout outs before we go. A uh, big thank you to Dan Kelly of Refuge, who you just heard, one of the better interviews we've had. Uh, Sound Growler, thank you for this amazing orange haze. I'm so glad that this is only the first can of my four that I purchased. Uh, let me get one more in here. Hold on. So good, so good. Uh, kept me uh, kept me quenched, boys. Thank you uh, so much for powering me through this episode. And as always, you can find us in many places. In fact, you are very likely listening to us from one of the following Apple Podcasts via iTunes, uh, the newly added Spotify, SoundCloud, our host, Google Play Music, and or Stitcher. So, uh, you know, pick your favorite, maybe switch it up month to month, you know, go crazy. Download as many apps as you want. You'll find us everywhere. Uh, straight out of Chicago, representing. And of course, social media, you want to check out what we've got going on, the latest, the greatest, all the news, events, uh, maybe some previews to what's to come. Uh, just social media shenanigans in general. Uh, of course, you know the handles on Instagram and Facebook. It is at AWD Podcast. Twitter, at AWD Pod. Snapchat, screen name is After Work Drinks. Caps on all the first letters, no spaces there. And I kind of buried this. I didn't shout this out at the beginning of the show. I just got too carried away. So much to announce. And uh, this isn't quite starting yet, but I want to give you the jump because I think it's going to be underway before our next episode is posted. Uh, cue the trumpets. Do we have trumpets? Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully we get some some trumpets to pipe in there. I don't know what the, uh, the sound effects department budget looks like. It's probably a paper clip, a button a stick of gum and some shoelaces at this point but hopefully you got some uh grandiose sound effects to bring this in i would like to formally announce a new thing that's going to be ongoing for the next couple of months on the podcast you heard of ncaa march madness well i am proud to announce the after work drinks awd craft madness tournament 
And what that is going to consist of is 32 of Chicago's best craft breweries from all around the Chicagoland area and its suburbs. Uh, They are going to be randomized and put into a bracket. Uh, We'll have 16 on each side of the bracket. And each week, that round's matchups will be posted in poll format on both our Facebook and our Twitter accounts. So you'll be able to vote on all the pairings in each round. You vote for your favorite of the two. The winner at the end of the seven-day, one-week period advances to the next round, and it pretty much works until we have a champion just like NCAA March Madness. So just a quick rundown before we go. The round of 32 will run from February 17th to February 23rd. Uh, Then week two, the round of 16 will run from February, God, I love saying it, February 24th to March 2nd. Ran out of Februarys. It's okay. Uh, to March 2nd, that's the round of 16. Then the round of 8, week 3, will run from March 3rd to March 9th. And then we've got week 4, the round of 4, from March 10th to March 16th. And then week 5, the final two, championship ball game or brew game. I'm not really sure what we're going to call that one. Uh, it's going to run from March 17th. Patty's Day? Is that right? Patty's Day? The 17th? All right. It's a perfect, perfect correlation that I swear to God was not planned. I just realized it now as I read it off this sheet of paper. March 17th, Patty's Day through March 23rd. Those seven days will be the final days to vote for your final two to see who is the champion of the inaugural AWD Craft Madness Tournament. Uh, Again, you can vote on our Twitter and Facebook polls each week until the winner is announced online Sunday, March 24th. And then, of course, we're going to celebrate the winner in our following episode airing in early April. So I just wanted to throw that out there. There'll be plenty more announcements to come online. So make sure you're following all of our social media accounts for when that gets underway a little bit later this month. I just wanted to tell you about it now because by the time our next show airs early March, we'll already have had uh, about two weeks of eliminations happen. So you want to make sure that you're aware, that you're voting, make sure that your favorite breweries move on through to the next round. We'll, of course, update you on where we are at the halfway point of the brackets in the March edition of the program. And then we will glorify the first annual winner of the Afterwork Drinks Craft Madness Tournament in our April episode of the podcast. I got to go. I'm rambling. There's just too much going on. Hard to pack it all in. Hope you enjoyed this action-packed show. And as always, I am Pooch, asking you to drink responsibly, don't drink and drive, be good to each other out there, and we appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. So thank you very much for listening. And that's going to do it for this episode of AWD. Be sure to follow us on social media for bonus content and all the latest show news and announcements. This has been the After Work Drinks Podcast. Until next time, cheers. Hey man, I need a strong drink. But first, I need to sneak out of work real fast. And kick the shit off like a wedding crash. Hit my computer off, I slide past my boss. I will be tossed. If I'm caught again, but fuck it. I'm on the cell phone calling all my friends. How we do? People say I got hex games for brains. Cause the way I live my life, I must be insane. But life's an adventure, I just ride it out. Live in the moment, might die tomorrow.